Thanks for listening to this sermon from the Image Church. Find out more about us and our weekly services at imagejesus.com. If you're here, this is Image Church, and for about the past month or so, we've been talking about Romans, this book in the New Testament written by Paul, and about the righteousness of God. And Jay preached last week the beginning of Romans 4, and that's where I'm going to pick up, but first I'm going to pray for us before we get started. God, right now, my prayer is just that I have a broken heart, um, that I'm broken over my own sin, that I'm, I'm just utterly aware that I need a Savior and I need you, uh, that I cannot attain righteousness myself and I cannot uh, do enough to be in your presence um, but that, that somehow you made a way for all of us to be in your presence. And we want to come lowly before you. We want to be humble before you. So uh, right now, God, we, we ask that um, as you reveal yourself to us through your word, that um, we actually see you in a fresh new way, and we see um, what you're doing in our own hearts, and that we are aware, that we're not distracted, that we're not thinking about the social media posts we just put on and if people are liking it, but that we can actually be here, present with you right now um, as you speak to us. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so last week um, when Jay was talking about Romans 4, he used a really good example um, that I wasn't here last week, I was in a marriage uh, retreat, but when I listened to it, he was talking about Paul talking about Abraham to the Jews in a heated moment. And he, he used this example like it was, a, it was like this battle rapper who they're going back and forth, and on the last round, he turns to his opponent, and he's like, I'm going to tell you about your son. I know your son died. And it's like, whoa, be careful where you're about to step. Um, and so with, with the Jews, you don't mess around with Abraham, you know, those are fighting words. And it's like, you don't go to Mecca and talk loosely about Muhammad, and you don't tell South Africans, you don't really get Nelson Mandela, and you don't go to New England and tell people up there like, look, Tom Brady is a ridiculously good-looking person, but he's a cheater. You know, these are things that you don't do because you're gonna shake the beehive and you don't know what's gonna happen next, right? So. What we're here today, though, we're here in chapter 4, and you have this Jew, Paul, talking to other Jews, but, Jew, but Paul is not some ordinary Jew. He is like the boss Jew. He's the Jew's Jew. This is what Paul has to say about himself. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, persecuting the church. As to righteousness under the law, faultless. That's a pretty good introduction for somebody, especially an introduction about himself, right? So like, he's like, look, you guys, you're pretty good Jews, right? But I'm, I'm the Jew, like I'm the guy. And what's different though is right now, Paul is talking to his fellow Jews like, yo, probably didn't say that, but I'm going to say, he's like, yo, everything's changed. 
Everything is different. Yahweh himself has actually come into human history, and the game has changed, and we didn't even see it coming. And if I could say that, my best Lloyd Christmas, Dumb and Dumber, is like, didn't even see it coming. I don't know if y'all seen that movie, but that's my best impression. Um, so Paul is pleading with these Jews, right? He, he, and they're saying, the Jews are saying, we are saved by the law of God. That's what separates us. We do good. Other people, they don't do good. The Gentiles don't do good. And Paul's saying, no, you weren't saved by your actions. And you aren't saved by your actions. We're actually exposed through the law as sinners, as failures to honor it and obey it. So our righteousness can never be enough to be in the presence of this perfectly righteous God. Because we have tainted the good in us. We have turned our back on God and we have sinned. All of us. Every single one of us. And our sin brings separation from God and it actually brings death. So our only hope of being right with him is going to have to come from outside of ourselves. So Paul brings, in, so this is the argument. This is Romans, and like Paul's going in on this. Like the whole book is basically like, you are justified, you are made right with God through faith alone. That is it. That's the bottom line. And in chapter four, Paul brings up Abraham, which is kind of a, like it's a genius move. Um, he, he's not only fact-checking the Jews, he's basically checkmating the Jews on this one. So Paul's like, look, okay, fellas, listen. What does our Torah, our Holy Scripture, like say about Abraham in Genesis? Like we put our faith in Abraham, but what does it say about Abraham in Genesis? And, it, and um, Jay said this because it says it at the beginning of chapter 4. But in Genesis 15, 6, it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So the question for us is, what exactly did Abraham believe? And for others, it's, who is Abraham? Who is this guy? Like, why do we today care about Abraham? So I'm going to walk briefly through Abraham's story right now. Um, Abraham was born Abram. And in the Bible, names usually mean something, and they're really important. So we should always take note of what they mean. And Abram means exalted father. So Abram's dad, Terah, he named his son Exalted Father. I mean, talk about a role to live up to, right? You name your son literally Exalted Father. So from the day Abram was born, this was the expectation. This was his father's call on his life. Fast forward 75 years. Think of a 75-year-old person you know. And Abram is childless because his wife Sarah was barren. Sarah couldn't have kids, so this exalted father was childless. And at 75 years old, Abram's life and human history changed forever because God broke through and spoke to Abram. And this is what he says. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. You will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you, I will curse, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord told him. The first thing 
I think we should note of Abram is he shows us what faith is. So faith is, you see that catch? That was pretty good. Um, faith is going even though you don't even know where you're going. Okay, so Abram went. Abram responded to God's command to leave. And he, he left everything behind to a land that God would show him. So he didn't even know where he was going. God just said, Abram, you need to go. And Abram went. So that's faith, following God into the unknown. When God calls you, our only response is to move towards him, even if we don't even know what it looks like at the end. All right? So <clears throat> trusting God to lead you and guide you along the way. You see, faith is all about actively believing in what God has promised. And God has promised Abraham land and children, but he needs to go. All right? So Abram stepped down faith by obeying God's command. Now, here's an important distinction, and this was really helpful for me this week. Um, the point is not how big Abram's faith is. You should not be looking at Abram and be like, man, I need to get faith like Abram. Like, he just really, like, he believed, and he, he went for it. No, that's not what faith is about. It's about how big the object of Abram's faith is. So what does that mean? I'm going to give you an example. Because we're in Florida and no one goes ice fishing. I think that's a great example. So ice fishing is when a lake freezes over, right? And you go out in the middle, you kind of drill a hole and you stick your rod in, probably not the rod, maybe the line. And then you try and find fish, pull them out, eat them, whatever. So you have two groups. One group, really confident, really faithful, and knowing that this thin ice is going to hold them, right? So they walk out, the ice breaks, they drown. The other group, really weak faith. Like, they don't know if they should do this. They keep thinking about turning back, but they decide, okay, we're just going to do it, and it's really thick ice, and they walk out on the ice, and they're safe because they're on solid ground. So the distinction is not who actually believed more. The distinction is what they put their faith in, okay? Does that make sense? So faith is not about the amount you have, the strength of your faith, or even the lack of it. Faith depends on the object who you're placing it in. That's why when it says a mustard seed of faith can move a mountain, because God doesn't need you to have amazing, perfect faith to actually start relying on him. He wants whatever you have right now, what you brought in this morning, to give to him. Um, many of us in here, we, we don't have a lot of faith that God is good. We don't walk in a way that like really says, we believe that God's good, um, that God can actually change our hearts, that he can change our desires, that he can change our actions, um, that God can't possibly love sinners like me or like us. And luckily for all of us, God doesn't move based on the amount of faith we have. God moves on the amount of love and justice he has towards any amount of faith we put towards him, okay? So whatever amount of faith you possess this morning, I'm begging you, place it in an object worthy of it. There's so many things that the world tells us we should put our faith in, and it will only fail us, and it will only bring death. And God is the only one strong enough to actually fulfill his promises of what he's promised us if we put our faith in him. Um, so again, you don't have to be a faith warrior. I was telling this in the back room earlier. You don't have to be uh, a prophetess, an apostle. You don't have to be whatever. All 
that you need is to place whatever faith you have right now in the object of God. And he will astound you. He will astound you with his love and faithfulness. And how do I know this? Well, we can keep looking at Abram because Abram's faith, while at times was great, at other times was extremely weak. Part of Abram or God's promise to Abram was this. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and he said, to your descendants, I will give this land. God promised to give a child to Abram. Remember, he's 75, okay? God himself told Abram this. So imagine God himself telling, I'm going to give you descendants. And 10 years passed, a whole decade passed. Now Abram's 85 years old. But they don't have a child. They're still childless. And Abram and his wife, Sarah, they were getting old, all right? And after these 10 years, they decided, you know what? We need descendants because we know we're going to get this land. So what we're going to do is we're going to use Sarah's um, servant, Hagar, and she's going to bear Abram a child. So we will actually have a child to, you know, have descendants with. Um, So Abraham's faith, Sarah's faith, was extremely shaky, extremely imperfect. Like, imagine God telling you something outright, like God speaks to you, and then it doesn't happen, and you're like, God, I want to trust you, but it's been 10 years. We still don't have a child, and now we're getting extremely old. So, yeah, they put their faith in themselves, and we're like, we're going to have a child. But the object of Abraham's faith, or Abram's faith, and Sarah's faith, uh, was still amazing and remained completely faithful to the promises in spite of their shaky faith, all right? So we're going to fast forward again now. Abram is now 100 years old. Does anyone know a 100-year-old person? Yep, one person. So we have one 100-year person that we all know now. Um, So This is 25 years, 25 years after God made his initial promise to Abram about blessing Abram and Sarah with a child. And what does God do when he's 100 years old? He doubles down on what he said. So God said this to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And then he says of Sarah to Abraham, I will bless her. Moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child. I think it needs to be repeated. Abraham is 100 wrinkly years old, okay? Sarah is 90 years old. God changes Abram's name to Abraham from exalted father to father of many, and he's still without a child from Sarah, okay? 
And but God's promising from her, y'all will have a child. And I think rightly so. Abraham laughs at God. I mean, I don't think it's like a like a, a mean laugh, but it's more like the something someone says something so shocking that you can't help but just scoff. Like you're like, okay. Um, I think you do you know what you just said? Because it sounded like you just said that I have a child with my wife who we're 190, so and we've never had a child before. Um, it's just it's ridiculous. So like Abraham tells Sarah what God just told him, and Sarah laughs as well because it's so ridiculous. It goes against every like um, like conceivable notion that we have that's possible to even believe that, right? So can you imagine being Abraham's friend at this point when he tells you God spoke to him again and now he's changed his name at 100 years old uh, to father of many? Honestly, for me, I would think, Abraham, I'd be really kind and be like, Abraham, that's cool. Someone, he has dementia, so we need to, (laughs) it's sad. This is, I don't know. He's talking crazy again. Um, But like, it's like, Abraham, dude, you are 100 years old. Like, your wife has never been able to bear children, and now she's way past menopause. And I'm not even a science person, but I know that means you can't have children, okay? So she's way past menopause, and it's impossible. It is literally impossible for you two to have a child. Ultimately, Abraham believes, in spite of this circumstance, the object of his faith is a God who, to quote Paul in Romans 4, 17, gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. God always follows through with his promises, even when they seem impossible. And most of the time, God follows through on his promises only when they seem impossible because he gets all the glory. We can't boast when he does that. No one can boast when he does the impossible. So when Abraham and Sarah did conceive a child, they actually did conceive a child. They named him Isaac, which means laughter. In, that, in what way could Abraham and Sarah boast that they had done anything? It's impossible. The only thing they could do was just laugh. And this isn't the scoffing laugh. This is just like the, the, the relief and answered prayer type of laugh that something you thought was obviously impossible now exists and is possible. Um, it had to be the most amazing, praise-giving, relief-filled laughter we could ever imagine. And it kind of reminds me of this picture. It's one of my favorite pictures. This is Charlie Harvey. She's in the audience right now. And this was her at her adoption hearing. And it's like that moment when all the the doubt, the shame, and the fear is replaced with tears of joy and laughter. You're just so excited. You, you were shaky in your faith the whole way, but it's finally come about. God has been faithful. And it's just, it's amazing. So there's Abraham and Sarah just laughing. A hundred years old and 90 years old, they have their first child together, Isaac. Um, so here's the question, guys. Why is it important for us to know Abraham? Why, why should we care about Abraham? And this morning, I'm going to give us two reasons. The first is God does impossible things to his glory so no one else can boast. Like God does the most impossible things all the time. And it's happening all the time 
all around the world, even as we speak right now. Do you know what the fastest growing church is in the world? It's the Church of Iran, okay? Now, why is that a big deal? Why is that impossible? I'm going to read you uh, this from an article I read two weeks ago, and it, it said, the Iranian revolution in 1979 established a hardline Islamic regime. Over the next two decades, Christians faced increasing opposition and persecution. All missionaries were kicked out. Evangelism was outlawed. Bibles in Persian were banned and soon became scarce, and several pastors were murdered. The church came under tremendous pressure. Many feared the small Iranian church would soon wither away and die. But the exact opposite has happened. Despite continued hostility from the late 70s to right now, Iranians have become a Muslim people most open to the gospel in the Middle East. More Iranians have become Christians in the last 20 years than the previous 13 centuries combined. So in the last 20 years, more people, more Muslims have become Christians in Iran than the last 1,300 years combined. All right? So... In 1979, there were an estimated 500 Christians from Muslim background. In this giant country, 500 Christians. Today, there's hundreds of thousands, some say even over a million, under this intense persecution, right? And you know what the second fastest church in the world is growing right now? Afghanistan. Like, God does impossible things all the time to his own glory, when things seem like there's no possible way, it's going to be extinct, it's done with, God actually makes something out of nothing, and he gives life to dead situations. And we don't even have to look outside into the world. Like, we can actually look right here in this room, because God is doing impossible things in this room. For everyone who thinks racial reconciliation is impossible, like, in my mind, I always go back to Matt's last sermon when he was here, and I will never, ever, ever forget what happened to me as a personal testament. I can't speak for everyone else. I know it was a, like emotionally charged Sunday and week after, and there was a lot of opinions of what happened. But I can only testify what happened to me. And I, to be honest, I was, I was exposed. I felt exposed. And when I was looking around the communion table and I saw all these black people consoling and comforting white privileged people like me, tears flooding down my face, and it was all around the communion table of Christ. What? In this city, that happened? It, it seems impossible still, it, even after it happened, and it did happen. I sometimes don't even believe that that happened, but that was true. And there's relationships in here. This week I was talking to Big Phil. And it's like, man, there's just, I just never thought that we could actually be talking about what we're talking about right now in Jacksonville, Florida. And so God is doing impossible things, even against all odds. Because Jesus said this, what is impossible with man is possible with God. If God promises to do something, no matter how impossible it looks to the rest of the world, God does it. His track record is perfect. He's never promised something and failed to deliver. 
So what is impossible with man is possible with God, and that should inspire all of us, every single person in here, to actually seek God and ask him what he wants to do. Because we're not saying that everything that's impossible is possible and God's going to do it. We're saying that when God says he's going to do something, he actually follows through and does it 100% of the time. It's not 99.99999%. It's 100% of the time. His track record is perfect. So we need to seek the Lord so he can make our paths straight. So my question is for us, what, like, we are so quick to write off things in our life without even seeking God about it because it seems impossible, right? What, what have you deemed impossible in your life? What have you given up on without actually seeking God to see what, if he's given up on it? Like, it could be a relationship with your father or your mother or your sibling or your spouse, I mean, have you given up on the idea that you could actually be reconciled with your brothers and sisters of other races, that you could have, that you could have actual, honest, real community inside this room as Jesus promised would happen inside the church? Um, I mean, have you given up on seeking justice in the city? There's a lot of very corrupt things, Right? And it can weigh us down. And by our own efforts, it makes perfect sense. Things, things will never change. Things are never going to get better. But God has promised to bring justice, to bring mercy, to bring righteousness to things that are broken, things that are corrupt. Is it, is it overcoming your own addiction? Is it sins that you commit that you feel like, I'll never change? Did God tell you you never change? No, God said, I've given you a new heart, right? And God was with Abraham for 25 years before God fulfilled his promise to him. God's timing is not our timing. God wants to walk with us in our afflictions, in our suffering, and in our troubles. And when we least expect it, when all hope seems lost, boom. God does his work in the most amazing way possible that makes us drop to our knees and give amazing glory and praise to the only one that deserves it, okay? Um, so he, he does this usually in the most amazing way possible, and if it doesn't even look like the most amazing way possible, it's probably because we're not seeing it right. So tell me, what is impossible with God? I want, I want someone to tell me what's impossible with God because God's bigger than us, he's more willing than us, and he's far more able than us to do anything he wants. And when we place our faith, however much we have to give in God, God will amaze us with his work in our life, in his timing. So that brings us into our second observation about Abraham. He is our father of faith. Abraham believed in God's promise, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Simply put, Abraham was the first person ever to believe in the resurrection power of God, and God fulfilled his promise. God brought to life from Sarah's dead womb, Isaac. And Abraham believed that in death, God could bring life something that couldn't exist that God could make exist. And in the same way, when we put our faith in God's promise, 
that Jesus Christ has satisfied God's righteous wrath against our sins on the cross. And through faith in him, we are resurrected with Jesus from the grave and made right with God. God gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. When we read that and we place our faith in the promise from God that when we die, we're going to be buried in the womb of the earth, like we are going to be buried and we're going to be dead. But that God promises to resurrect us to eternal life into the kingdom of God if we believe in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. I mean, what faith do we have? That's my question this morning. Like, that's what God has promised. And he has a perfect track record. You, you cannot find something that God has promised and hasn't actually fulfilled unless he's promised something that he hasn't fulfilled yet. Like, he hasn't fulfilled yet that the world is going to be reconciled completely, that he's going to wipe away every tear, he's going to drive out all evil, he's going to make everything new. That obviously hasn't happened yet, but God actually promised that. He promised that Jesus is returning, right? But for most of the stuff in the Bible, we can see God promising something and then fulfilling it. So if you hear God calling you, when you feel him stirring in your heart, leave everything behind like Abraham and walk in faith towards this God. God is calling you. You're not making it up in your head. God is actually calling you and wants you to respond by walking towards him, even if you don't have all the answers. <clears throat> so, this is the one who can bring life from death. It's the only one that can create something out of nothing and the only one completely faithful to us, even though we're not completely faithful to him. Um, God's proven himself faithful over and over again to us. He hasn't crushed us and obliterated us uh, when we sin. Because that would be right. If God's perfectly holy and he makes perfectly holy creation, and then we turn our back on him, it'd be like, okay, starting over. I'm going to just start over. But God, he hasn't done that. Instead, he doesn't crush us. He crushed his son on our behalf for our sins and promised to give us life, hope, and rest when we believe that and we walk towards him him, even though we don't even know what it looks like, but we actually turn away from whatever we're putting our faith in and place it in God and saying, God, I'm walking towards you. And that isn't a one-time thing. That is a consistent daily, hourly thing. We all have choices. We have cho like thousands of choices every day. And the question is, when you, when you feel God stirring in your heart, are you going to respond to God? And even if you don't, Will you turn back? Because God is patient. You're alive today because God is patient. God is giving you infinite chances, and he will continue to be like long-suffering with everyone in here. That's why we're alive. 